0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A month or something? We are going to take our text today out of the Proverbs, Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 33. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called, and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And will be at ease without dread of disaster. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Proverbs as a person. We thank you, Jesus, that you embodied everything we could fail to do in this book of Proverbs. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the voice of wisdom that cries out, the voice of Christ that calls to us. Pray that we would heed your voice today. Pray, Heavenly Father, for all the churches in Beacon and in the Hudson Valley, that they would hear your voice, that they wouldn't just have good services today, but they would hear your voice, that they would turn and walk in a new direction for the life of the world around them. We thank you, we praise you, and we know that without you, we would have no breath in our lungs. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I told the men this story yesterday. I didn't ask my wife if I could tell it, but I'm sure she's fine with it. And if she's not, we'll have another story next week. We're having a little bit of an argument on our, we went for a nice family walk on Friday, which we we got into an argument like 30 seconds in. And we're talking about something that's going on and we get down to the riverfront and it's beautiful. And I mean, this is just proof that even when you're in paradise, like Adam and Eve, you're still, you're still going to mess up. We're at the riverfront. Sophie is like hiding behind trees and popping out and saying, mama, dada. And we're, her heart is not overflowing with love. We're annoyed with each other. And so we're talking about, you know, an issue that in my opinion, and unfortunately, Jacqueline doesn't also have a microphone. So we'll just have to stick with my side of the story here. In my opinion, I had been thinking about this for a really long time and decided to bring it up at this point, point. and Jacqueline, you know, was hearing me talk about it, and she had some opinions, and I'm sure you've also been thinking, now I realize you've been thinking about it for a long time, but at this point in the story, I didn't know that. And so I say, sarcastically, because that's where I fail. I don't get nasty anymore, I just say things sarcastically, and then when you call me on it, I'm like, what? That wasn't, you know? So I said, you know what, hon, we'll go with your side, we'll go with what you want, because I've only been thinking about this for six months, and you've been thinking about it for ten minutes, so we'll obviously go with what you think. Over here, I hear the voice of a little old lady go, that was rude. <laughs> and I'm like, she was, right? Right? And then I'm like, wait, what was rude? And the lady was like, you know, what you said. And I said, was it right or was it rude? And she's like, it was rude. And at that point, like, I have a choice to make. I could just shut up, which is the boring option, which I did, thank the Lord. I could have said, you know what else is rude? Entering conversations that you have nothing to do with, with a family that you're not a part of. With a decision that you will will never matter to you. So walk your dog and your opinion on out of here. Have a really nice rest of the day. Because honestly, I don't know who's walking who right here, lady. So you and the dog. could Just walk on out. I didn't. That's just. It felt good to say. Like, you ever sometimes say, you know, I could have just said this. And it's a way to say it. Thank you for those who clap. Man, we got a real church. We got a real church. But once the laughter's done, I'm still sitting at the park with Jacqueline now, and, you know, the, every truth was confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses, so Jacqueline and, you know, the lady, obviously I'm wrong here, and what's, what's funny about this is I'm just, I'm done with my notes today. What Just, that's ridiculous what I was going to talk about. What's funny here is that we weren't created by God to have free will the way that we think, Imagine I just stopped. First of all, we were given free will by him. So nobody here chose to have it. You didn't freely choose to have free will. So free will was imposed on you by someone else. So at the end of the day, you can't choose to be a robot. You can't choose to not have an opinion. You can't choose to not have options and you can't choose to not be free to explore those options. So even though we have free will, it's not originative free will. It's free will that's imposed on us by God. So in other words, we have to have free will. So we have it, but we don't have it because we willed for it. So even our free will is still subject to God. As Stephanie said, he's the source of my free will. So in some ways, it's free will, but only because I've received it, not because I created it with my will. Does that make sense? You guys are just playing around. Everybody says yes. It would be amazing if the whole church was like, no. Like, I don't know what to do then. We have this originative free will given to us by God. And so when you look at Adam and Eve, the reason why they're fruitful and multiply is because God said, be fruitful and multiply. The reason why they eat of the wrong tree and sin is because the devil said, you should eat of this tree and some. So Adam and Eve only do what they do because they were acted on by another entity in order to do it because Adam and Eve were not created nor were we to be originative beings we're created to be images so my image only moves when i move my when i do this in a mirror the image only does this cuz i'm doing it we were not created to be originative we were created to reflect And so our freedom is predicated on the fact that whatever it is we allow to act on us, that is the thing that's going to cause us to freely choose what we do. So if I'm allowing the spirit to act on me, I'm going to freely be able to choose to follow the spirit. And if I'm allowing the demonic or the satanic to act on me, I'm going to freely choose to follow it. So in some ways I am choosing, but I'm only choosing based on what's acting on me. So, so many of our choices are the product, are the end result of the thing that we spend the most time allowing to act on us. So, this is why Jesus would say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, we have these ideas, and the Proverbs help us with this. We have these ideas that if we say the right things, the right things will happen to us. If we confess in the morning, as I said to the men yesterday, if we confess in the morning, I love my job. I'm going to love my job. I'm going to get promoted. When my spouse wakes up, I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to enjoy my kids today. Here's the reality. If you don't enjoy your job, and you're having trouble enjoying your kids, when you say that stuff, you're not confessing positive affirmations. You're lying. Sophia when she turns 16 can say to me as much as she wants, Dad, I have a new car. (laughs) No, you don't. Well, I'm going to confess that I do. Knock yourself out. Literally. Please knock yourself out so you stop lying all the time. You could say it all you want. The, The idea that we can speak what we want and it will come is one of the most satanic realities that Christianity has ever bought into because it stipulates that God has created such a perfect system that once he's created it, he can step away from it, not be a part of it, and it just works independent of him. So because God said these things, now I can say them, and so I don't need God anymore. I just need to find a way to enter into this system of confessing positivity And now it'll work for me, and God, thank you for creating this, but we're good now. And we only hear God when the voice of the Spirit is affirming the things we're confessing, and we somehow willfully ignore him when he's trying to tell us, you're confessing lies. So in this moment in the park, I have to stand there and realize in this moment where snotty lady interrupts me, And my beautiful, amazing, very patient, filled with the fruit of the Spirit wife is enduring my infantile behavior. (laughs) I have a decision to make. And the decision is not do I apologize or do I continue? The decision is in this moment now what am I going to allow to act on me? Am I going to allow the carnal, selfish ego to just do nothing but defend itself? Or am I going to allow the selfless spirit of Christ to give me the grace to show strength by saying I'm sorry? To show strength by saying I shouldn't have said it that way. I let my emotions get the best of me. We think that's being a pushover. But you're only a pushover when you do whatever impulse rises up in you and you obey it. That's being a pushover. You're not a pushover when you say no to yourself. You're not a pushover when you realize you were wrong and so you confess I was wrong. That's not being a pushover. That's being strong. So watch what happens in this interaction. Ho- hold, on, hold on to the proverb text that we read. But listen to this interaction between Jesus and Peter. We all know it. It's, it's found in Mark chapter 8. It's one of the most famous stories. We all fit into this story. I don't want to see how this story kind of hovers over us today. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Another others say, you're Elijah. And others say, you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strict- strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And just as an an added text, when the same story is told in Matthew 16, verse 17, and we all know this, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So let's just start right here for a moment. We've been talking about living a life that's inside the edges. We've been talking about living a life where we don't max out our money, where we don't max out our patience, where we don't max out our emotional capacity, where we don't max out every word that we're able to say in any given moment, where we don't max out all of our energy, where we don't give full vent to our spirit, as the Proverbs say, where we don't max out all of the people who can know things about me, we're not private anymore. We're we're trying to live inside the edges where we don't, We're not living maxed out lives, or even worse than that, in debt lives. But there's space in our life, in our home, in our emotions, in our patience, in our energy, in our talents, in our finances. There's space in there for other people. Because in Leviticus, when God tells the Israelites not to reap the full amount of their field, but to leave the edges, he's saying leave the edges for the poor. Poor people, forgotten people. Cast outside the edges, on the margins, people should be able to come and reach into Israel's fields and glean. Because Israel, just because they've cultivated something doesn't mean they they max out everything they've cultivated. They leave some for the poor. Is it fair? Probably not. But the minute God says to do it, it becomes fair. Are other people going to take from your life what you worked really hard for? Yes. Yes if we get upset with that, I think Jesus could just point to himself and be like, Jesus gave the whole field up. Not just the corners. He gave the whole field. He's asking us to just leave some room. And so, the first reality is, how do we know? We've been talking for almost this whole year. How do we know If we are inside the edges or outside the edges, with some things it's very obvious, like money, if there's a lot of debt, you're outside the edges. If there's a lot of savings, you're inside the edges, right? But when it moves to things like my patience and my time and my talent and my treasure and my... Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and my devotional time, and all this, it gets a little bit more complicated. And so what we have to realize is we have to realize, first of all, before we define any edges, we have to realize that the life of Jesus, as described in the four Gospels, that is the edges. Jesus's life is the boundary line of our lives. And so before we talk about what happened with Peter and Jesus, I want us to just show this slide of the cars, Ian will put it up there, here we go. So we have to ask ourselves, if if the white edges is the life of Christ, and the arrows are indicative of what direction the cars are driving in, I think we can all agree that the red car is the most unhealthy of all of them. It's outside the edges and driving away. Not even close. But when you look at the green car, which is outside the edges, and the yellow car, which is inside the edges, which car is actually more healthy here? the green car, because of the movement, because of its direction, because of its trajectory. soon, if the yellow car doesn't do something, it's going to be leaving the edges. So just because you're inside the edges now, we have to be able to discern our trajectory. We have to know where we're heading if we keep living like this. We might be okay now, but I mean, raise your hand if you heard stuff about a hurricane recently. My God, it's like every channel all the time. It's unbelievable. But what happens is when the hurricane's a 1,000 miles away, what are they telling people in the Carolinas to do? Get out. But the hurricane's not here yet. I don't have to leave. I'll wait till it gets here and I'll leave. No. When it's still far away, not because of its location, but because of its direction, you know it's time to leave. So the direction you're heading in is actually more important than the location you're currently in. A hurricane that's 1,000 miles away isn't bothering me now, but if they're telling me it's coming to my house, it's time for me to leave my house, even though it's not here yet, because its direction matters more than its location. And so we need to always be asking ourselves, be willing to actually name, where am I? Am I inside the edges or am I outside the edges? And once we define that, where am I moving right now? If everything stays equal and life continues to carry me in this direction, am I heading outside the edges or am I heading deeper into the center of who Christ is? So Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give three answers, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. Now this is very interesting because when we read this text now, we read it after we know that Jesus isn't any of those three people, he is the Christ. So every time we read the story, we immediately make ourselves Peter and not one of the people that the disciples are talking about. But here's the reality. What do John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets have in common? They're all speaking of the Messiah, but none of them actually are. They're all speaking that the event of the Messiah is something that's going to happen. That's what John the Baptist said, that's what Elijah said, and that's what all the prophets say. They say that Messiah is coming, but he's not here yet. To whatever extent we live our lives right now, as if the claim that Jesus has on our life is something of the future and not something of now, we are saying that Jesus is John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. To whatever extent my words, my reactions, and not even my planned out words, but my reactionary words, my reactionary words reveal more about my heart than my planned out ones. Everything I'm saying now, this is planned out. I probably was a jerk all week, and this is planned out. So this is going to sound fine, but there's at least one person in this room who knows there's been other words and other unplanned moments that I didn't have, and sometimes I really wish that we could have notes planned out for every interaction that's going to happen at the in the home. Oh, okay, like a little file of facts and be like, okay, so you disagree with me about this. Let me go see what Jesus says I'm supposed to say. We don't have that, and so we react. And then we say something like, you know what, I'm really sorry, that was just a reaction, but it's not just a reaction, it's the product of my heart. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when my heart is not guarded by planning, and it just shows itself in a comment, that is really what's going on in my life. So when somebody snaps at you and you instantly snap back, that is where you are in your heart. That's why in Proverbs 13, it says that a fool gives full vent to their spirit, but a wise person can ignore an insult. Can you even imagine being able to do that? Can you even, first of all, first of all, when we mess up, we tell everybody everything. There's at least one person in our life that immediately hears everything of how we're feeling every time something happens that we don't like. But can you imagine, first of all, having those emotions and waiting to talk about them? I mouthed the word no so people on the podcast wouldn't know that I said no. So that's one thing that's amazing to me. But another thing that's amazing to me is can you imagine ignoring an insult? Like it just bounced off. Like you actually were rubber and it just bounced off. And it didn't matter. It didn't take root because your heart is so full with the selfless selfless love of the spirit that insults have nothing to latch on to. They don't take root because they don't matter. But when our heart is insecure or when it's full of ourselves, insults matter, and so we let them take root, and then we germinate them and we cultivate them and we let them grow until there's fruit, which is why Proverbs says, here's what your calamity is. Your calamity is when you eat the fruit of your own hands. And the problem with that kind of calamity, we're not talking about my house falling apart, we're not talking about a fire, we're not talking about plagues, we're talking about the worst kind of calamity that looks like fruit. So I don't know that it's happening. I don't know that I'm suffering calamity because it looks like fruit. When things go well in the wrong direction, it's the worst kind of calamity because we are convinced that tangible things going right means we're right with God. But Jesus is walking proof. We're about to find out that dying on a cross is things going right, and Peter's about to tell him it's not. We cannot affirm whether or not we're inside the edges because tangible things are going right. Because everything fell apart for Jesus. Mocked, denied, betrayed, lost followers, attendance went down, giving went down, popularity stayed high but changed direction. He was still popular, but his approval rating went to 11 <laughs> at his mom in 12. All the signs, all the metrics of big box church and all the metrics of how we look at business, Jesus plummets in all of them. If Jesus is the economy, it crashes to zero on Good Friday. Every investment anybody ever put into him, gone on Good Friday, zero. Peter gets a comment right. His words are correct. And then in Mark 8, 31, the next verse, it says, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We think that teaching is so that we can get the right information. But if you read this text carefully, the teaching begins after Peter already said the right information. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, you are right. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven revealed this to you. And then he began to teach. You would think that Peter passed the test. Like, school doesn't start with a test, and then when you get 100, then you start going to class. (laughs) But that's what happens here. Peter gets it right, and Jesus says, okay, you got it right, now it's time to teach. And he says the opposite of everything Peter ever thought his right answer meant. You're the Messiah. You're going to save us. I'm going to die. And so what does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus. And what's Jesus' response? Who does Jesus call Peter? Satan. He calls him Satan. So here's what I want us to see. We have to decide where we are In our walk with Christ, are we inside the edges or are we outside the edges? If we're outside the realm of his will for our life, are we getting things together and moving in? Or are we in, but it's starting to slow down. My fight is starting to go away. My my energy is starting to go away. My, My sin is piling up and I'm losing my motivation, so I'm slowly being pulled out. And so I'm not so comfortable, even though I'm okay right now, I feel like in another six months I'm not going to be. It's good to name that. Because watch what Jesus says. When Peter gets it right, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. The Spirit did. And when Peter gets it wrong, Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't say this. Satan did. At no point in Peter's rightness or wrongness is he not the product of what he's allowing to act on him? The source of my right words is the Holy Spirit. The source of my wrong words is the demonic. Because like we said at the beginning, we were created to mirror and reflect an image. And we will always mirror and reflect an image, what we allow to act on us the most. So in moment one, Peter's allowing the spirit to act on him, and Jesus says, everything you just said, it came from heaven. In moment two, Peter's allowing the demonic to act on him, and Jesus says, everything you just said came from Satan. But Jesus defines what satanic looks like, and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So satanicness is not thinking about God. Now I know that's not a profound mic drop moment. I know that's not something that's exciting, but think about this. Whenever we're getting ready to act, what our mind is stayed on is what we're allowing to act on us so that we would act. Do we think about God in relation to our sin? Do we think about God in relation to our finances? Do we think about God in relation to these things? Or are we looking for the organized, pragmatic, practical, positive affirmation of how we want our lives to be? It is logical for Peter to say to Jesus, you are a Messiah, so you don't go to death. You save us from dying. And Jesus says, you have a lot to learn about what it means to be human. Because you're thinking practically. And thinking practically all the time as a principle is demonic. Being positive for positive sake is demonic. Just trying to have things go well is demonic because it's not the life that Jesus lived. And you're all looking at me like I'm not saying good good news or the gospel, but here's the reality. Please be happy you have a church where somebody's willing to stand up in front of you and say a lot of stuff that none of us want to hear. It's true. It's true. Sometimes the most logical response to a situation is the most demonic one. I've heard this phrase. The Proverbs tell you that if you do this, then good things will happen. And then the book of Job exists to tell you that that's a lie. Because Job did all the right things and none of those good things happened. But I cannot tell you, without being completely overly dramatic, how much I disagree with that statement. Because I think when you put the Proverbs and Job together, you see Jesus. Proverbs, on its own, sounds like, if I obey then God will bless. If I do good, then God will bless. If I steward my finances well, then my wealth will increase. It's, it says that, but here's the reality. The Proverbs are not promises. The Proverbs are the atmosphere of Jesus. They're the atmospheric conditions that Jesus operates under. But listen to this. When Job, if, if you're following along in the daily office, we just read through the book of Job. And what you realize in the book of Job is because he was so right, when everything went wrong, no one, including Job, could figure out why it happened. And so everyone is just giving hypothesis after hypothesis and reason after reason and conclusion after conclusion. And at the very end, God, who is unbelievably patient during this entire conversation, finally steps in and says, not one of you, not one of you has been right at any point in this entire conversation. You're saying it's because he messed up. Job is saying God is not right because I didn't mess up. Or then Job is saying I, I wish I wasn't born. Then Job is saying, you know what, even though I've done everything right, which we know isn't true, that he must have some hidden faults in me that he knows of. Because everybody is assuming that what we do, God is a slave to have to act to it. So if I'm getting... If hell is approaching my life, then it must mean I've done something worthy of hell. And God finally shows up and says, you have no idea what you're talking about. So here's the reality. Job did not suffer faithfully. And his friends did not advise him faithfully. But the life of Christ is the life where both the book of Proverbs and the book of Job come together like a husband and a wife, and the two become one flesh. And Jesus shows us, That when you embody the book of Proverbs, you suffer faithfully. And you address suffering faithfully. Faithfully. Jesus suffered better than Job. And Jesus gave counsel on suffering better than Job's friends. If our edges are how things are going, We're gonna be confused when things start to go wrong because we're gonna feel guilty and we're gonna beat ourselves up or we're gonna assume it's somebody else's fault. My life is like this because I've made mistakes. My life is like this because somebody else has made mistakes on me. Jesus wants to take the whole field and say, The whole field is mine now. Everything about you, I purchased all of your talents, I've purchased all of your hopes and dreams. I even purchased all of your mistakes. They all now belong to me. Every inch of what's happened to you or what you've done, I've bought that from you. I own it now. I'm the one who can speak for it now. And so my, my challenge to us is simply this. Do our words reflect spirit-led trust. Or do our words reflect disappointment, despair, fear, hopelessness, and ego? When you're punched, does the next thing that come out of your mouth say, I must go to Jerusalem and die for this? Or does it say, how dare you say something like that to me? How dare you interrupt me in the park when I'm having a conversation with my wife? Who's acting on you? In that moment, I stand between the Spirit of God saying, you can argue, argue your way out of it, but you know you're wrong. You know you weren't being sensitive. You know that you weren't speaking to her the way that I want a husband to speak to a wife. You weren't being gentle. You weren't being hospitable. Or the devil handed me a way out. This lady. <laughs> Hon, hold on, hold on. We'll talk about our problems in a minute, but can we address like, let's get on the same team for a second. Who is she to step into our fight and think she can comment on it? And the whole time she was talking, also I forgot to mention, she was on her phone. Like, you're not even respecting me in your disrespect of me. At least get off your phone so I know my, my disrespect matters to you. She's like, that was nasty. And I'm like looking at her thumb, I'm like, what, what, how, how much are you going to scroll? Stop. Like, what are you looking at? can't look at pictures that fast. You can't read that fast. What is your thumb doing? In that moment, what's acting on me? Is my mind set on the things of God and it turns to I'm outside the edges here and I'm sorry? Or is my mind set on the things of man and I use somebody, listen to me so carefully, I use somebody else's sin to get out of mind. That's the mic drop moment. (laughs) Thank God somebody else just did something wrong. (laughs) There's times where it's electric. And then there's times where we have to get out a spreadsheet. We have to write down how much money we take in and how many bills we pay. And we have to get on a budget, right? We have to do that with our words, we have to do that with our thoughts. We have to do that with our intentions. We don't have to get them right. We have to name them. That's the starting place. Where are your thoughts? Don't wake up tomorrow and say, I got to get them in order, because you might not know how they're out of order. Where are they? Just figure that out. Where are my intentions? Are, are my values and my priorities in keeping with Jesus on the cross, or are they in keeping with Herod and his temple? Are they gaudy, self-serving priorities, or are they priorities that if they work out, my neighbor will be blessed because of them? Don't fix what you can't name. Don't fix what you can't confess. Say what it is first. Don't be afraid. If you grew up evangelical or Protestant, you're afraid. We're afraid to say the truth of something if, if it's negative. I am... Fearful when it comes to my finances, and we say, "Don't confess that. Don't say that. Because if you say it, it's true. Man, it's been true. (laughs) What do you mean you're acting like I'm not right now? It's been true for a very long time. Every time, every time a new bill comes in January, I get scared and cancel Christmas. I freak out. Don't, 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 don't confess that you're afraid." We have to be people who are true to our God. Praying is not manipulating. Praying is telling God what's true. Lord, I messed up in the way I spoke to my wife, and I had trouble noticing it. Name it. Name it, not so that you can claim it, but so that God can speak to it. Name what's wrong in your finances so God can speak to it. Name what's wrong in your priorities so that God can speak to it. Jesus wants to speak to what we get right. Peter, I'm proud of you. The Spirit revealed this to you. And he wants to speak to what, he, we, what we get wrong. Because here's the reality. Jesus didn't leave Peter with just an indictment and a comment. He said, sit down and let me teach you. I'm going to call you Satan. I'm going to get everybody's feathers ruffled. But then I am going to spend the time teaching you about the thing you got right and what it means. I'm gonna walk with you. This is gonna take time. But if Peter can't name what he did, if Peter doesn't let Jesus name what he did, Peter doesn't even know where he needs to be discipled. The best moment in Peter's life is when he denies Jesus three times and he cries. Because in the moment where Peter finally weeps is the moment where he's finally able to name what he's done wrong. And once he's able to name it, the grace of God can flow into it. But if I'm always hiding from my sin, if I can't name where I am, if I'm inside the edges and and heading out, if I'm outside the edges and heading farther away, if I'm outside the edges but things are getting better, if I can't name where I am and I can't name what direction the arrow's going in, I can't name what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life or what he needs to do in my life. If I name where I am, I'm not confessing that I'm going to stay here. When I name something, I take it and I give it to the God who's everywhere. Everywhere. He's in me outside the edges. He's in the edges and he's on the other side of the edges where no one wants to go. He's all of those places. He's the whole field and he's everything outside of the field. So if we want to start living these controlled organized emotionally healthy lives it doesn't start by saying what does right look like it starts by saying where do i where am i able to say what's going wrong where am i able to see where i'm out of bounds and don't blame anybody else for it even if it could be somebody else's fault just don't do that just speak for yourself speak just for yourself You know, I might be here because this person pushed me here, but I should have been stronger so that when they pushed me, I didn't fall that hard. Just assume that it's your fault and let God deal with everybody else whose fault it is. I I pray for that lady. (laughs) When I did the daily office that night, you're supposed to confess your own sins. Maybe I confessed hers for her. Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done and the things that I've left undone and forgive her for the things that she said in the park today. (laughs) Trust God with others. Start here. Where's this out of bounds? What direction is this heading in? Am I, what what did the Proverbs say? The complacency of fools will lead to destruction. Am I just happy if I'm heading in the wrong direction and I finally stop heading in the wrong direction? Have I become the kind of person that sees not getting worse as a success? Am I just happy to have things not get worse? Or do I really want to turn around and retrace these steps of failure and get back inside the edges of Christ? And I just have a feeling when we really do it, when we're standing here and we stop and we say, I don't want to go any farther in the, in the wrong direction, but I know when I turn around, I don't want to see those footprints. I don't want to see where I've walked And we turn around and we see the grace of God over every one of those footprints. And we see a new way to walk back through them. And every time I step in an old footprint, something's getting redeemed. Every time I step in an old footprint, God is doing something. That's what we're looking for. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I apologize if that was a little bit disjointed. Is this working? We good? I apologize if that was a little bit disjointed today. I actually, the emphasis on being able to name our words, being able to name our heart just kind of struck me. I thought it was just for the men, but it really struck me during the worship service today. So I apologize if that was a little bit disorganized, but I think, I think that's actually something that has to happen in our life. Where there has to be a moment where everything is organized, but we sense that something might not be right and enter into the chaos because somewhere in there, there could be a gem. And so the, the reality was, and Lord, I, I think what I have isn't exactly what you want to say, so I'm going to start talking. And, and then I need you to start talking. I'm not going to rewrite. I'm not going to go back to the drawing board. I'm just going to start talking in the chaos. I'm just going to start talking in the chaos. And I just feel like there's people in the room where you've lost your chaos voice. You've lost your voice that can speak in the storm. You've lost your voice that can speak in chaos. You've lost that, that youthful exuberance that when things went wrong, your voice got louder. When things got dark, your prayers got more forceful. We need to recapture that fight voice. Bishop Quentin Moore In Kansas, He says we have to run to the roar. The thing that is roaring at you, the thing that is intimidating you, you run directly at it. And I feel like some of us have lost that exuberance, that fight, that excitement, that joy that knows I'm gonna run right at the thing that's been keeping me down and I know Jesus is gonna run just a little faster than me and by the time I get there, that sucker's gonna be on the ground. We need to get that back and I'm gonna sound like a broken record, we can hoot and holler and shout, and I can sweat into this microphone all day and just give this nasty microphone back to Stephanie. I could do that all day, but here's where it happens. You wanna know how you get the, the strength to run to the roar or the strength to find that voice that speaks louder than chaos? You come to the table. You come, what energizes us more than food and drink? What, what in th- makes us enthusiastic more than a God who in his brokenness shows us how to be made whole? If we came to this table and it was God the way God looks, we would say, I can never walk a step further. But when he says, come to me, because I look a lot like you in that basket. I look broken, I'm not intimidating. I look spilled, come on, you understand this, right? I look like I used to be whole, but now I've been beat up a little bit. Come to my table. I'm not intimidating. I'm broken just like you, but the only thing is my brokenness heals. I'm spilled all over the place just like you. The only difference is what's spilled in me will heal what's spilled in you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that we in our own mind, everyone in this room right now, that we would be fine confessing that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. but we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. So Holy Spirit, thank you that Jesus forgives us right now. Thank you that Jesus restores us right now. Thank you that Jesus paid for what we just confessed right now. And so I pray that as we walk down our aisles to your table, that we would not be walking the plank to our execution, but we would be walking to a death that leads to life. I pray that we would walk down this aisle to your table, not just for us, but for those who are unable to walk down this aisle that are not here right now. I pray that we would put the people we know that are suffering and hurting because they don't walk with you, that we would put them on our back and we would walk down this aisle for them, not just for ourselves. That we would walk down this aisle for every person that's hurting, every person that's in unimaginable pain, whether we know them or we don't. I pray that we would walk down this aisle and bear with the failings of the weak and fulfill the law of Christ. I pray that as we walk down this aisle, Father God, that we would be walking backwards in every step where we retrace our sinfulness. As we walk backwards toward our own sinfulness, all we would see is that bread and that cup redeeming the path, redeeming the backsliding. I pray that we would get inside the edges of this table. We know, Lord Jesus, that it was on the night when you were betrayed. On the night when you could have been pushed outside the edges. Your response was to say, this bread and this cup is my body and my blood. And it's broken for you, Judas. It's spilled for you, Judas. Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. This is my body and blood broken and spilled for you. Thomas, you're going to doubt me when I raise from the dead but this is my body broken for you and this is my blood spilled for you. Pastor Bill, you're gonna speak rudely to your wife at a park, but this is my body and this is my blood broken for you. You're gonna be rude to your kids, but this is my body and blood broken for you. You're gonna be greedy at your job, but this is my body and blood broken for you. You're gonna gossip, you're gonna lie, you're gonna cheat, you're gonna accuse, but this is my body and this is my blood broken for you and spilled for you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall on these gifts and make them for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and fall on us right now, that we would examine ourselves and come to your table, just like this bread and just like this cup, broken but filled with your presence. In your holy, precious name we pray, and everybody said, amen.